So brothers and sisters, today we come to the end of Mark's gospel, the climax of it all, Easter morning. Listen to how Mark tells it in chapter 16. The Sabbath day ended. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices. They were going to use them for Jesus' body. So very early on the first day of the week, they were on their way to the tomb. It was just a little bit after sunrise. And as they went, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? Who will roll the stone away? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. And the stone was very large. They entered the tomb. And as they did, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. He he was sitting right there on the right-hand side. They grew alarmed. But the young man said to them, Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. And he is risen. He's not here. See, here's the place they laid him. No, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There, you will see him. It's going to be just as he told you it would be. But the women were shaking. And they were confused. They went out, of, they went out and ran away from the tomb. And they didn't say anything to anyone because they were afraid. Brothers and sisters, this indeed is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. Christ is risen. Amen. Uh, Let me add my welcome to that of others. If you're a guest with us, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be worshiping together uh, this morning. Would you pray with me before we dive in? God, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for the the historical claims that we encounter in the Bible, in in the Gospels especially. Uh, Specifically this morning, the claim that, that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened. Uh, So God, we bless you today. Be with us as we turn to the Bible now and and help us. We know that we can't figure this out on our own. We need you. Uh, So help us, God. Please pour out your spirit on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in a way, we're all just trying to figure it out. Uh, We struggle to find our way in a complicated world. You've uh, maybe seen it in the eyes of your own kids, maybe certainly in other kids, young children taking in so much information. It's like the light for the hard drive on your computer is continuously flashing green and the CPU can't keep up. And there are uh, emotional behavioral outbursts that basically say, I don't know what to do with all this. It's too much. I can't handle this. And then as adolescents, we continue to try to find our way. We try on different hats, so to speak, trying to find an identity that matches who we are, who we want to be, what we want to be about in the world. And as adults, the issues just get more and more complicated, right? The basic question is the same, just trying to find our way. 
but now there are relationships and jobs and some trying to navigate marriage, some trying to parent children, even while we're more and more aware of the consequences of a world out of control, seemingly. We're all just trying to find our way. Uh, so on, on a day like this, I'm kind of a fan, as some of you probably know, of naming uh, the, some of the real social tensions that might be present in the room, because I get a little squirrely if we don't just name these things in an outright way. Uh, some of us come to this day with a, a place of uh, pretty large faith, kind of sold out on the claims of Jesus and all in on, on church stuff. Some are followers of Jesus, but struggle with maybe organized religion uh, for some reason or another. Some of us probably think Jesus was a good guy. Uh, worthy of following, but uh, really struggle with the unique claims that he made. Some might be skeptical of, of Christian things and are here for, for social reasons, but really, if the truth be told in your heart, you kind of think this thing's a crutch built on faulty assumptions. And some might even be antagonistic toward uh, maybe the church, maybe, maybe Jesus himself. And this is just real, right? Some of us are lifers. Some of us are here for the first time. Uh, maybe ever, or maybe some of us are here for the first time in a long time. And many, many different things bring us here. Maybe you're a young adult and you're here with parents because it's what you do on Easter, whether you like it or not. Maybe Christmas and Easter are social traditions for you, but they don't hold a real kind of spiritual reality nature in your heart. Uh, or maybe as an adult, you're here because you know it would be significant for your aging parents if you were to accompany them at, at Easter. We're just in different places, right? So can we just name that and say that that's Okay. People are in different places and um, different reasons for being here. There's, there's devotion, there's skepticism, there's faith, there's doubt. There might even be some bitterness and resentment. There's all sorts of stuff. Like, we're, we're all over the place. But we're all just trying to find our way. You know, in that sense, everybody's in the same boat. Um... There, there's, there's no us and them in this. It's just us. And we're, we're all just trying to find our way. And you know as well as I do uh, that we're hardwired to pursue a life of meaning and, and purpose and fulfillment. It, it's in us. It's like we're all sharing a common quest. It's like a King Arthur kind of thing or something, right? This, this quest for the holy grail of real fulfillment and real purpose. And for those of us living in Grand Rapids, living in Michigan, living in the United States, we might refer to this shared experience as the American experience. And yes, I unashamedly stole that from the PBS series of the, of the same title. Uh, but, but the words put together actually signify something quite meaningful. Right? There, there is an American experience. And, and you and I are experiencing it together. It would be like if all of us were fish... Uh, that American experience is the water in the fishbowl, the water in, in which we're swimming. It's the, the culture in which we live, in which we're immersed. We can't get away from it. It's 24-7, right? The American experience. That experience is marked by a couple big categories, aspiration and belief. And as, as Americans, citizens of the United States, we share this kind of deeply held cultural aspiration that's uh, known as the American dream. You know, that with hard work, work uh, uh, intuition, and, and initiative, determination, that we can, we can do it. We can achieve it. Right? That aspiration is sometimes summarized with this statement. If you can dream it, you can do it. We've heard this. 
right? It's, it's, a, it's a message that's out there. We put it on posters and inspirational cards. We send them to each other. Come on, you can do it. If you can dream it, you can do it. I mean, together we're sharing this experience. It's in the, in the air we breathe. So the aspiration part. Then there's the belief part of our experience living in this, this fishbowl, this, this water of American experience. A, a number of years ago, uh, a sociologist at Notre Dame named Christian Smith did a huge study about what young people in this country actually believe. It was interesting because he pursued not what they said they believed— but what they actually believe. It was one of the largest social science research projects done in the history of our country. Uh, It's interesting. If you want to read more about it, there's a book called Souls in Transition that details the whole thing. But it turns out, as Americans, we have a widely held belief system uh, that, that is not really in line with any of the major religions as we know them. And there are three major tenets to this American belief system. Here they are. The first thing that we believe is that we should be good people. We should try to be good people. We should seek to do good things, and we should avoid, to do, uh, avoid doing bad things. We should be good. The second is this. We can't do life on our own. We need help from someone who can show us the way. We need a mentor, a guide, a spiritual mother or father, something like that. And then finally, we believe that God is real, but that God is absent and uninvolved in our lives and in the world. So the, the phrase this social scientist gave to this was moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a mouthful, right? But the, the moralistic part, we should be good. Therapeutic. We need help from someone or something outside of us to make it through life. Deism, that the world is like a clock on a mantle. God wound it up and set it there, but has very little to do with it in a day-by-day way. So, Aspiration we share, this belief system we share. It's in the water, that we, uh, water, uh, the water in which we swim, the air that we breathe. So do, do you feel the problem, though? Right, we share an aspiration that says, if you can dream it, you can do it. And we share a belief system that says, we can't do life on our own. We need someone to show us the way. Uh, and corporately, as a, as a country, we don't believe God will be that person because we believe God is largely absent. So we find ourselves in quite a predicament. I mean, here it is. We're hardwired to pursue a life of meaning and purpose, fulfillment, this quest for a life of of fulfillment. We're pursuing that quest along the lines of our shared aspiration. If you can dream it, you could do it. But all the while, we believe that we can't do it, that we need help, that we need someone to show us the way, and that God's not going to do that because God's out to lunch and is uninvolved. So... You feel the tension, right? I'm not making this up. This is, these are the big, uh, uh, the big picture stories of the world in which we live. So is it any wonder that so many of us are feeling weary and restless and dissatisfied? We're hardwired for meaning, purpose, and fulfillment, yet all of our attempts come up short. And then we grow desperate and, cry, and try all sorts of desperate things to find that meaning and purpose and fulfillment, to somehow complete this quest that we're on, this journey. And quite frankly, our behavior as a nation telegraphs our desperation. Right? Be it sex, money, power, drugs, porn, alcohol, whatever it is, all of these things simply emphasize the quest for fulfillment that we're really pursuing. And 
those things emphasize the cultural tension in which we live, the, the contradictory messaging. If you can dream it, you can do it. But really, you can't without someone to help. And by the way, there's no one to help. I mean, what do you do with that? What kind of wicked hamster wheel is that? Right? The faster you run, the more you never move. And who wants that? All you get out of that is weariness and restlessness and dissatisfaction. That's it. I mean, so that's the message of of our shared experience. And for some reason, we find ourselves choosing to abide by this, even though it makes no sense logically and is thoroughly self-defeating. No wonder the rate of depression is at an all-time high in our country. No wonder that rates of depression among young people are skyrocketing. Hockey stick up. I mean, we're, we're living in this messaging and we can't do it. We're all just trying to find our way. And it's tough to find the way. So let me, let me change direction on you here for a second. So hold, if you would, the finding your way bit in a parking lot in your mind. And we'll come back to it in, in a moment. Uh, so we're, we're here, of course, this morning because it's Easter. And the fundamental claim of Easter is that Jesus was raised from the dead in his body. Let's not miss that that really is the claim. The claim isn't a spiritualized version of this. It's not a, a, a metaphorical resurrection. The Christian claim is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead bodily, physically. That, that's the claim. And in the passage we read today, the announcement uh, was made by an angel described as a young man dressed in a white robe. And here's the announcement he made again. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He's not in the grave anymore. That's the claim. See, this is the very first time that the claim of resurrection met the human imagination. And when when I say that, I don't mean the first time the idea of resurrection has met the human imagination. The, The idea that, you know, that sometime out there somewhere there might be a resurrection at some point in the future. The Pharisees of Jesus' day believed that. What I mean is not that the idea of resurrection met the human imagination, but that the claim of resurrection met the human imagination. Specifically, that a resurrection has already happened. That we live in a world where a resurrection has happened. That's the claim. And, uh, and on a side note, isn't it kind of funny that God would send a young angel to make this announcement? I mean, my, my weird imagination thought of a police briefing room at the beginning of the day, and the angels kind of gathered with the Lord, getting their assignments for the day, and somebody pipes up, Hey, Lord, who gets to say it for the first time? You know, who gets to, who gets to say it out loud for the first time? You know, He has risen, because that's kind of a big deal. Somebody else pipes up, yeah. Yeah, who gets the call on that one, Lord? All sorts of chatter in there. Well, Gabriel and Michael, they should do it. They've got seniority. One of them should go, hey, they get to do all the important stuff. Come on, send somebody else. Then God says, hey, everybody, look, I've already made the call. We're sending Steve. (laughs) Steve? The new guy? 
the rookie? Steve looks up. Uh, what? What? You're sending him? I'm, I'm fresh out of the academy. God says, that's right, Steve. We're all about leadership development around here. You're on deck. You've got the call. <laughs> Steve's got the deer in the headlights look. At, uh, what? Well, what? I don't know. What, what do I wear? Angel eyes roll. Come on, Steve. Did you miss that class? All rookies wear white. Go with the white robe. You'll be fine. Such is the state of my sense of humor, right? <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. The, the point, the announcement, right? He has risen. He is not here. He has risen. He is not. This was the instant at which resurrection from the dead moved from speculative idea to historical claim. We're not talking religion anymore. We're talking history. Let's not miss that point. It's incredibly important. And that is the cornerstone of the Christian faith, that which distinguishes Christianity from every other spiritual belief in the world. That we're not talking religion anymore, we're talking history. That's the deal. And amazingly, the Apostle Paul concedes that very point in in, in the Bible. He says, look, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then our faith is useless and we should bag this whole thing. You know, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then what Christians say about finding a real life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment is useless and we should drop it immediately because it's clearly not the way. Because this whole thing is pinned to a historical claim. See, we're, we're all just trying to find our way. So bring this whole thing together. We're trying to find our way. We live immersed in a cultural message that says, if you can dream it, you can do it. But really, you can't without help. And by the way, there's no one to help. You're on your own. That cultural aspiration and belief has us on the hamster wheel. Running like crazy after meaning and purpose and fulfillment and getting nowhere. And after running for a while, we grow weary and restless, and dissatisfied. And in that place of vulnerability, we get desperate. And we try desperate things to complete this great quest for fulfillment. And those things not only let us down, they weigh us down. They hinder the quest. Yet all the while, as we're in the midst of that experience, through all of our scurrying and desperation, in full view from our restlessness and dissatisfaction, there stands on the timeline of history a claim. He has risen. N.T. Wright is an author I very much enjoy. And in a book that he wrote, he shares an illustration that for me has been very helpful in thinking about the implications of the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead. It goes like this. Imagine all of the people of the world gathered together in a thick fog. And every spiritual belief, every view of the world, every religion, philosophy of life is represented in this group of people. 
We're all in the same boat, everyone just trying to find their way, and voices are crying out in the fog. Hey, hey, it's this way. I found it over here. But right after that, you hear another voice. No, no, wait. No, there's more light over here. We should go that way. And then a third. This way, everybody. The the way is over here. There's less fog this way for sure. And it just keeps going like that. And you find yourself standing in the fog, feeling utterly bewildered. Who do you believe? Which way do you go? Now imagine someone coming to us from the other side of the fog. Far above all of those voices in the fog. And that person looks at us and says, follow me. I know the way. That would be quite something. And that indeed is the claim of Easter. Where all religions and spiritual philosophies try from a human perspective to lead us to God, Christianity, Easter, claims that God came from the other side of the fog to meet us where we are. Came not halfway to us, came all the way to us. To help us. To show us the way. I mean, simply put, the claim is this. Someone has come to us from beyond us to help us. And this claim doesn't just exist in the annals of of religious thought now. Again, this is historical. It was pinned to this world by the cross of Christ. And the claim is that the death he suffered on the cross was overcome by the power of God and that Jesus lives again right now. Not just philosophically, but really, right now. Not to condemn us, not to judge us, to receive us, to to help us, to forgive us, to show us the way to that life for which we were designed, a life of real meaning and purpose and fulfillment. No more hamster wheel. No more desperate attempts to fulfill the quest. You know, these, these desperate attempts that let us down and weigh us down. So what do we do with this personally? I mean, what, what does this mean for me and for you? One of the images used in the Bible for coming to a new place of faith is the image of awakening. Awakening. Right? There's a, a passage that talks about uh, kind of wake up, sleeper. Arise. Wake up to a new kind of life. And when the, when the angel made that announcement, he has risen. It was the very first time the claim of resurrection met the human imagination. And the humans involved at that point were those women that, that had gone to the tomb. And the Bible describes them as being both terrified and bewildered. Terrified because it was clear that something beyond them was happening right now. This was larger than their experience. And it was scary. I believe they were bewildered because as they went, they started to think, what if? What if he, he really is alive 
from the dead. You see, their, their imaginations began to engage this claim. So, so just like the Easter claim landed in the imaginations of those women, I, I wonder if you might indulge me just for a moment and in the privacy of your own heart and mind, wherever you're at this morning, if you might join me in an imaginative exercise. Close your eyes only if you'd like and come with me. Imagine a moment, for a moment, that you believed the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. That that you believed with everything inside of you that you live in a world where a resurrection has happened. Again, not what what you say you believe, but what you actually believe. Imagine what your life would be like if you truly believed that. Not a blind faith now, but one based on having researched the historical claim of resurrection, explored it, and come to a place of honest belief. How would that recast your understanding of your life? What you're here to do, where true meaning resides. What would it feel like to have completed the quest for meaning and fulfillment and to find yourself at rest in the arms of God who sent Jesus for you because he loves you? No more hamster wheel and new power to combat your desperate, self-defeating behaviors. That is, if you're like me and still have some of those. If, if you believed you lived in a world where a resurrection has happened, how would your view of your relationships change? How about your view of your work or your money or your possessions? If you believed you lived in a world where a resurrection has happened, how would your view of your own death change? Okay, if you chose to close your eyes, you can open them now. Can you get a taste of that life? Can you see that? I, th- I think you can. I think you can probably feel it a little bit. Because I, I believe that God wants us to see that life. God wants us to wake up to that life. It's a little glimpse of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus talked about all the time when he was here on earth. Look, look at what he said. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus was saying, a whole new life has arrived. It's available to everyone everywhere. Repent, meaning turn from whatever you're facing now back to God. Change your thinking about what's going on in the world. And then believe, align your life with this new life that has arrived. That's all that that means. Friends, it's true. Someone has come to us from beyond us to help us. You don't have to run anymore. 
You don't have to hide anymore. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or how much money you have. You're invited to this thing. God has invited us to this thing. So if you're sick of the hamster wheel, take Jesus' invitation. This is the invitation he spoke to us, by the way. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Notice this is not an invitation to a religion. It's not an invitation to a spiritual philosophy. This is an invitation to a person. It's an invitation to place your trust in a person. And the claim is that that very person, Jesus, is alive right now. And not only worthy of your trust, but able to make good on all of his promises. Because he's alive right now. He's the one who came to us from beyond us to help us. So turn to him now. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, no matter if you find yourself in one of the darkest places right now, maybe you've turned to him a hundred times before, the invitation is to come to Jesus. So turn to him. It's, It's a placing of trust again a releasing of self, letting go, and trusting Jesus. We're all just trying to find our way. Everybody in the same boat. And there's a way. His name is Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, we do thank you, uh, really in all humility, because we're so mindful of our shortcomings. Sometimes those shortcomings can, can dominate our minds, take up the whole screen in our imaginations. And yet we hear your invitation, Jesus, to come to you. We are weary, we are burdened, and we need rest. So together, Lord, we turn to you, we say yes to you, as much as we're able in this very moment, we place all of our trust in you. We, we rest our whole selves upon you and trust you to carry us. God, bring life change in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Do that now, Lord. Do that today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.